You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Well, it's a joy to be with you. Um, As you can tell from the reading of God's Word, or if you look at the liturgy webpage that I sent uh, sent out on Saturday, today's topic is fasting. Uh, we must admit that the topic of fasting, especially from a religious perspective, right? It's not like the hot topic. People aren't rushing to conferences because the topic is fasting, not eating food or something like that, right? <laughs> I haven't been to that conference. I'm not sure I've heard that sermon preached either, for that matter. Why, why fasting is in the Bible? What is Jesus saying to us this morning, right? I'm guessing... Many churches just don't touch the topic. Now, despite the fact that we do not talk or hear much on fasting, the subject of fasting is actually emphasized throughout history. Historically, fasting happened on a regular basis in Christian churches. In particular, monastic movements, think Catholic, right? Monastic movements have emphasized religious fasting. I can argue that when I look at the spectrum of religions, just generally speaking, throughout history, fasting is highly regarded. Fasting has been considered a standard practice within various religions. So when a person fasts from food, in particular, what is being addressed? The fundamental question at hand is, do you rule over your appetite, or does your appetite rule over you. And as you rule over your appetite, how do you direct your thoughts and prayers? At present, I do not think 21st century Christians think about fasting in the same way that we think about, for example, prayer. Right? Unlike prayer, fasting requires giving something up. The discipline of fasting requires you to say no. Yes, it is in the discipline of fasting that saying no actually helps you grow in your relationship with God. So, as you can tell this morning, we're putting the spotlight on the spiritual discipline of fasting. We have to ask, why does our Lord Jesus need to correct the Pharisees about the how and the why of fasting? What was read a few moments ago by John. The correction does not like come out of nowhere. Jesus wants us to see the importance of fasting, but not without us understanding the why we should fast. Like, why should we do it in the first place? One pastoral confession before I pray and and get into the sermon. As you can tell, the Sermon on the Mount covers a lot of topics. A lot of topics. Uh, You have seen this for sure, if you've been tracking. By the time we are done with this sermon series, there will be at least 35 sermons covering three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And each sermon is distinct from the next sermon. But as I prepared for this sermon series, like at the beginning of 2022, 
It was this passage that I was the least excited to preach. <laughs> like, that's the confession. I'm like, ugh. Who wants to preach on fasting? <laughs> who wants to listen to that sermon? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to listen to that sermon from me. <laughs> because of all the spiritual disciplines, this is the one I struggle with the most. Right? This is the one I actually struggle with the most. I knew that I was going to eventually face my shortcomings and my weaknesses right in the face. Got to look at it. It's going to look at me. But you know what? I thank God for this passage, and I thank God that I'm not out of town right now, or I'm sick, you know, woke up Sunday morning, <coughs> cough, Rob, you got to preach on fasting. I thank God that I have to face this. Um, I thank God that this text goes right to my heart. And reveals something. So if you're a pro at fasting, if you are disciplined enough to make fasting a regular practice in your life, great. I hope you are encouraged to press on this morning. Continue to press on to hunger for more of God. If you're like me, I hope that by the grace of God, you will be motivated in all of the right ways to make fasting a new habit and practice in your life. So let me pray. And we'll get into this text this morning that our Lord Jesus preached over 2,000 years ago. Heavenly Father, I just want to express my neediness, my dependence upon you this morning. I'm asking for help. I want, I want, I want help to be faithful to what you've already spoken. So we thank you for your word. This passage that we're covering this morning is here for a reason. Help us understand why. And may we may we be motivated to press into the spiritual disciplines that you have for us. Help us to see the grace in all that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up Catholic, the Powers family would fast from meat every Friday during Lent. So if you grew up Catholic, I'm sure that may have been a regular practice for you as well. You don't eat meat. Um, for some reason, we could eat fish on Fridays. Like that meat was go cool, but like no bacon, uh, no chicken, like no pork. It's like, oh, come on, kidding me? So I, I was forced to like fish at a young, from a young age. Uh, the Catholics have a reason for eating fish. It's not a great reason, but it's a reason nonetheless. Regardless of the inconsistencies that I see, I appreciate the motive for fasting. Here's how one Catholic priest explains why he fasts during Lent. And I quote, while fasting takes the form of refraining from eating, it is primarily a spiritual discipline designed to tame the body so that we can concentrate on higher things. To be clear, the Bible says nothing about the need for a Christian to observe a specific day and to fast on that specific day. However, the scriptures are clear about the need to fast. So what is fasting? The primary sense of fasting is to abstain from food and focus on God. Say no to food, no to the cheeseburger, no to the ice cream, and say yes to God. Can you fast from something else? Sure, right? Uh, I encourage everyone, everyone here, to fast from your smartphone. Make that a regular rhythm in your life. Fast from social media if you're on social media. Make that a regular rhythm of your life. 
anything that you have an appetite for is likely worthy of fasting from. But there is something unique about fasting from food. Christians have been fasting before the invention of the smartphone. We've been fasting from food before the smartphone was ever in view. Food is highlighted because all people need to eat to survive. I can survive without my iPhone. Right? True. But we got to eat. If you pause to think about it for a moment, physical hunger actually is a gift from God. Hunger drives us to work so that we can eat. All people crave food to some degree. Like, you might not like the steak that I like, and that's fine, but you like something. Like, if I said to you, what do you want to eat tonight? Just pick anything. Like, you have a list. You got a few things. So all people crave food to some degree. What will happen if you skip lunch after church? Like, what happens today if you walk out and you're like, right, I'm starting today. Today's the day. No lunch. What's going to happen? You're going to start feeling hungry. What happens if you skip dinner? All of a sudden you're like, oh, this hurts, right? Especially if you're new to fasting. You will physically feel the ramifications of skipping those meals. You will feel hungry, and yes, some of you will get hangry. You know who you are. I get hangry from time to time. Food, which is good for us to eat, can also be a dangerous craving that calls out from the fridge. There are examples of fasting throughout Holy Scripture. In the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to fast once a year according to the law. Got to fast, right? Of course, uh, we read about fasting from the prophets, Samuel, Daniel, Jeremiah, to name a few. We read about corporate fasting in the book of Esther. In the New Testament, we read that Jesus fasted for 40 days when tempted by the devil in the desert, Matthew 4. In the book of Acts, we read the church at Antioch fasted corporately before they sent out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. During the time of Christ, the Pharisees likely fasted twice a week. Here's the point. Fasting, in particular from food and drink, is a religious discipline worthy of pursuit if the reason for fasting is to know God. You should not fast for religious purposes for the sake of creating discipline in your life. It takes discipline to fast, yes, but that's not the end goal. You are not to fast for religious purposes, like if you want to lose weight, got to lose that 10 pounds. I know what I'll do, fast, and I'll throw Jesus on the side. Right? Don't do that. Listen, if you want to fast for health reasons, great. I know a lot of people who do intermittent fasting for health purposes. Thumbs up for me. Go for it. But what we're going to see in a moment, motives matter. Motives absolutely matter. The purpose of Christian fasting is to abstain from the physical to focus on the spiritual. Here's a simple and solid definition from our good friend, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, What fasting really means, therefore, is abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. That is the biblical notion of fasting, which must be separated from the purely physical. The biblical notion of fasting is that, for certain spiritual reasons and purposes, men and women decide to abstain from food. Very simple, very straightforward. 
As pastor and theologian uh, Daniel Doriani points out, we live in a physical and material world. We know that. We live in a physical and material world. We touch and feel things. We're made of human cells. We live in this world. But Christians also belong to a spiritual realm. We can't forget that. So we need more than food from God. We need more than the steak or the bread. Pastor John Piper reminds us that we fast to increase our hunger for God. Piper continues with this piercing quote, and in only way Piper knows how to do. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. Like, yeah, nailed it. He continues, it is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but mindless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribbling of triviality we drink in every night. Now, Piper broadens the scope here a little bit, right? But you see how the apple pie can appeal to our appetite more than Christ. Now, should a type A diabetic fast from food? Probably not, right? right? There are other physical realities that one can abstain from and focus on God. But most of us, should we fast from food, right? Yeah, probably, right? The way that we see it here in Scripture. The discipline of fasting reminds us that we are not, we are, we are physical and spiritual creatures. Nothing else in God's creation, not even angels, has the particular makeup of God's image bearers. Human beings are body, mind, soul. We have been created uniquely in God's image and likeness. Therefore, we should not be shocked that a discipline like fasting is a tool that can enrich your relationship with God. It will enhance your spiritual life. Now, as we narrow on the teaching of Christ about fasting, we need to remember that fasting is the, thir is the third spiritual discipline mentioned by Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. The first was giving to other people, right? That was Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Give to others. The second was prayer. We spent five weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer. And now fasting. Why does our Lord mention these three spiritual disciplines? Perhaps the collection of these three disciplines touches on a different aspect of our Christian faith. Almsgiving focuses on others, right? We're to give to others in need. Prayer focuses on your relationship with, with God. Some people are willing to give and pray, but what about fasting, right? Fasting is certainly about your relationship with God, but we're actually called to give something up. So that touches on another aspect of our faith. Our Lord, in His wisdom, needs to provide some correction to the abuse of these disciplines. In Matthew 6, we see that these three spiritual disciplines have become performative for religious Jews during the time of Christ. And I'm really going to tease out what I mean by performative. We read these words, we read these words several months ago in Matthew 6 too. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. And then we read these words from our Lord in Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, 
We must not like be the hypocrites. There's that word again. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And now today we read, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face, that their fasting may be seen by others. Here's how we can diagnose these three passages. And I'll use a counseling example here. One of the strategies I use when I do counseling is I help people see patterns in their life, right? Identify a pattern can help you solve a problem. Identifying a pattern can help you get to the root of a problem. Well, let's see if we can identify a few patterns in these verses. Why is Jesus so pointed about these disciplines? In Matthew 6.2, in Matthew 6.6, and then today, Matthew 6.16, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. That is a pattern to note. Giving, praying, fasting are all spiritual disciplines that can be corrupted. These are good things. We are to give. We are to pray. We are to fast. But we can corrupt them. We can corrupt them. Our Lord is not saying to cease to give. He's not saying stop praying. He's not saying stop fasting. He's saying rightly give, rightly pray, and rightly fast. Another pattern. These spiritual disciplines have been corrupted because instead of giving, praying, and fasting for the Lord... They're used to point inward, right? Which, which leads to my last point in terms of seeing a pattern. These particular disciplines can be used to say, look at me, look at Sean Powers, look at how Sean Powers gives, look at my great prayer, I have fasted for a week. Look at me instead of look at God. Look at the Lord. That is performative Christianity. Performative Christianity is all about the self and not about God. There's one more pattern from those three passages. These spiritual disciplines can be abused to hide sin. Broadly speaking, the sin in these passages is the hypocrisy. Jesus calls it right out. I'm looking at you, hypocrites. But underneath the hypocrisy is usually pride. Some say the root of all sin is pride. The proud person performs in the day for the audience of many while missing the fact that only one matters. So I hope you see the big takeaway from Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. In the context of fasting, there is a temptation to be performative. Think about performative Christianity in the context of marriage to help us kind of understand what I'm saying, what I think Jesus is getting at. A marriage between a husband and a wife is supposed to be built upon trust, and each spouse trusts that the other is not performative or hypocritical, right? Now, duty in marriage matters. It should be a joy for me to do my duty to serve my wife, Sharice. Duty matters. But I am making a distinction between a joyful duty and performing like an actor, a husband that pretends to love his wife in the day but then commits sexual immorality in the night is performing marriage, right? And is a hypocrite. A wife who projects a life that is well put together but underneath everything she is resentful to her husband for whatever reason might be performing. Now let me ask you this. Is this a healthy marriage? Of course not. A performative marriage does not last. A performative marriage lacks depth meaningful love that allows a marriage to last. A performative marriage may just end up in divorce. 
God's desire for us is to move past the performer, to put away the performative. God bids you to do all things instead for his glory. But that can be hard, right? It can be hard. And why can it be tempting to engage in a spiritual discipline so that we can be seen by others? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. We all want to be liked, right? Everyone here wants to be liked. I do. We all want to be liked. Not only do we want to be appreciated by others, but there might be a temptation for some to be more, you know, to project, to be more spiritual and holy. You know, look at me. I fasted for eight days, and your buddy says, uh-uh, I did nine. That's performative Christianity. What was the motive of the Pharisees, which Jesus calls hypocrites? Verse 16, they wanted to be seen by others. It's that simple. Now let's dig a little deeper into the issue. Here's where the heart work really begins. And do not worry, for God's people, there's always grace and mercy. But there's, there needs to be change, right? Here are several areas I want to highlight for the remainder of this message. One, performative Christianity can be premeditated. I think we see that in the text. Two, performative Christianity is fleeting. And three, performative Christians can change. Take a look at the premeditated actions of the Pharisees in verse 16. Jesus says they disfigured their face. Another rendering could be they destroyed their face. The Pharisees took steps to change their physical appearance to be seen by others. Before going into the public, they were like in the bathroom, throwing on whatever makeup they needed so that others could identify them as a person who is fasting. Now, is it possible Jesus is speaking hyperbole here? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a possibility. But even if their actions are not premeditated, then the motives of the heart are certainly premeditated. These Pharisees reek of hypocrisy. And Jesus is, is not, he is not quiet about it, right? We read from the prophet Zechariah that the people of God were fasting for all the wrong reasons. So this is actually a historic problem. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, the prophet Zechariah, preaching, saying to all the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? The motive for fasting was not pointed to God. The prophet Zechariah was preaching correction to the heart. One of my initial reactions to the underlying sin here in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, one of my initial reactions was to catalog the hypocrisy I do see in the American church. Like, that was like my instinct, like, see it everywhere. I was kind of put a spotlight on, on hypocrisy. Performative Christianity is like around every corner, or so it seems to me. Yes, I'm bothered by the hypocrisy I see in pastors. Like, I see pastors leading their churches into performative Christianity. Giving, praying, and fasting is done to be seen by others. Sermons are preached. Buildings are constructed. An X amount of dollars are raised and then proclaimed to be seen by others. There is a sickness in the American church that breeds performative Christianity. It is they look at me. Look what I did at my church. That exists. 
I see it. Many of you see it. I say all that, and I'm reminded of this. And I think this is prudent for me, and perhaps some of you, to remember this verse from the Sermon on the Mount, which will be covered in a few weeks. This is what Jesus says a little bit later. You hypocrite. Now he's kind of pointing the finger at me. Right? That's how I'm taking this. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Pointing out sin and proclaiming warnings is correct and biblical. But perhaps before going after the Pharisees and other churches, perhaps it is crucial to make sure my heart, and perhaps your heart, is not engaged in another form of hypocrisy. Looking at the log tempers the temptation at looking at someone else's speck. I know, and I'm grateful to be reminded of this text, that I need to take a hard look at my motive for preaching on Sunday. As an example, preaching can be performative, right? 1,000%. And I have to look at my heart every single Sunday. Why am I doing this? So that you can pat me on the back and say, good job. I know I need to check my heart and take a long look at the log in my eye when I consider the future of this church. Do I want to see this church grow so that others will look at me and say, look at that leader. He's a leader. Look at that pastor. Do I want to see this church grow so that others will think I'm that kind of guy, I'm that guy? Or do I want this church to grow in depth and numbers because in doing so, God is glorified. Here's the bottom line. All Christians need to check their motives, even be suspicious of them. We need to ensure that the motive for fasting, the motive for any action, is not to be seen by others, but to be seen by God. Performative Christianity is toxic. But the way to combat performative Christianity is to be motivated to do all things, not for your own glory, but for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. That's why we're motivated, right? The other warning from the teaching of Christ is that performative Christianity is fleeting. Our Lord says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What reward uh, did the hypocrites receive? Others see them. Mission accomplished. The result of the disfigured face and the lamenting and the crying was to be seen. The ego is stroked, and yes, the hypocrisy still abounds. Performative Christianity results from believing in a cheap gospel focused on temporal rewards. A cheap gospel that is focused on temporal rewards. I mean, consider the ROI, the return on investment in this passage. The Pharisees abstained from food for what? Eyeballs. To be seen and thought well by others. And I think we can safely presume, because Jesus calls them hypocrites, that they have little to no thought about God in their actions, in their fasting. A shallow faith that believes in a shallow gospel results in shallow rewards. And Jesus says these rewards are fleeting. These temporal rewards make you feel good in the moment, but the fasting is ultimately in vain. You've deprived yourself of food for nothing. 
Maybe I lost a few pounds. Congratulations. Just call it a weight loss program, but do not call it Christian fasting. Perhaps it might be helpful to think of the rewards of the Pharisees and the rewards from God in the context of this idea called delayed gratification. I preach this to my kids all the time. They're probably tired of hearing about it. Especially in our culture where we can obtain an object within 24 hours by pressing a few buttons on the phone. Like, Sharice bought something in the morning the other day because she needed it, you know. With, by, by, by the time we went to bed, the package was there. And I'm like, did you get that yesterday? Nope, got it today. Like, we're so used to that, right? We have been accustomed to receiving what we want almost instantly. And yes, there could be some blessings to that. Yeah. I leverage that. But let's acknowledge it for what it is. The Pharisees immediately received their reward. They instantly felt good about themselves because of how others perceived them. But following Christ does not automatically necessitate instant gratification. It almost always results in some type of delayed gratification, a delayed reward. It's not explicit here, but I would not be surprised if our Lord had in mind heavenly rewards. These heavenly rewards that, in one sense, are delayed until we see the Lord. It seems to me that true Christian fasting leads to these heavenly rewards. What are these rewards? Jesus doesn't tell us. Gold, silver, that new 2022-23 truck that drives like a dream? I got to think that the rewards mentioned by Jesus are not material, but spiritual and relational. What is the greatest reward a person can receive from a heavenly father, right? How about Christ himself? And what words from the father would be a a reward for our soul. How about these words from the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? Wouldn't you like to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. To be in the presence of God, to hear these words from God, are the most significant rewards you could receive. To be known and seen by God is greater than being known and seen by 10 million Instagram followers. We've got that upside down in our culture. We're so concerned with all the like buttons and the hearts. And we've lost perspective of what it means to truly be seen by God. Well, if you're anything like me, then you are tempted to performative Christianity. You do the right things to be seen by others. But I have good news. I have great news. Our Lord does not only call out the hypocrisy, he illuminates the path to change. Right? Knock it off, by the way. Here's the path toward change. Jesus tells us this good news. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Jesus tells us that when we fast, look normal. <laughs> Just look like what you looked like yesterday, right? Look normal. Do not draw attention to yourself. Do not post your fasting status on Facebook. Do not drop subtle hints to your friends while in conversation. Hey, how you doing? Yep, been fasting for about a week, Ryan. Like, don't do that. 
Don't be that guy. You're to fast for God and God alone. But let's push that aspect of fasting aside. We can corporately fast. I'm going to push that aside for today. You must be comfortable that only God sees as you skip a few meals. And yes, in those moments, you will say to yourself, I am so hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm angry. <laughs> might be a heart issue. Maybe a good opportunity to focus on Christ. <laughs> there is enough grace and mercy from God to help you move from performing for the people around you to performing for Christ and Christ alone. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you can, what we read in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Apostle Paul tells Titus these great, these wonderful words. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. So the grace of God saves. But grace doesn't stop there. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, Titus 2 is not directly talking about fasting, but we see the characteristics needed to rightly fast. We need to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we do so until the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So by grace you have been saved, and by grace you live rightly before God. God gives you the grace to walk in the various spiritual disciplines so that you may glorify Him with your life. So, I have already confessed my personal weakness when it comes to fasting. I am convinced and convicted in, a, in the best sense of the word from the preponderance of scriptural passages that fasting is to be pursued. In light of my shortcomings, how should I counsel myself and perhaps some of you? Like what would Sean say to Sean? <laughs> I would begin to fast by doing what is manageable. It's like when someone comes up to me and says, I really want to get in track with reading my Bible. I do not say, read the Bible in a year. I say, open up your Bible, read a passage. Be committed to that for seven days. Do what is manageable. There's nothing worse than trying to do something and then failing and then feeling the crushing weight of not fulfilling what you were trying to do. So do what is manageable. Skip a meal right? Maybe two. Maybe two. Be ready for the discomfort, but use the discomfort to turn your mind and your heart toward God. When you're fasting, be intentional about reading scripture and praying, right? I know that after the Lord saved me, I was really new to fasting. So I asked a friend to keep me accountable until I learned to do it on my own. I, I don't Think honest accountability betrays the teaching of Christ in Matthew 6. If you need help, confess your need, right? God sees the heart, and God wants your heart to meet your actions. Perhaps you can't fast from food for dietary reasons, right? I get that. And more significantly, God understands. <laughs> but there's a phone in your pocket, as I mentioned, that is worthy 
of fasting from? I think at the end of the day, we all can admit that. <laughs> There's a screen in your life that is worthy of fasting from. Perhaps creating a greater appetite for God over the screen is a step you can take. Here's a final application point, an advice I would give myself. If you desire to create a new discipline, a new habit, make a plan. Make a plan. In my experience, a plan is a vehicle for accomplishing a task, especially when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Praying, reading your Bible, fasting, giving, whatever the case might be. You do not serve the plan, but the plan serves you. At the end of the day, where is all of this leading, right? At the end of the day, why is Jesus instructing us on, on fasting? Why are we going through it today? Well, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we're going through it. At the end of the day, the goal is for your appetite for God to increase over every earthly desire. That is the goal. Your appetite for God to grow and increase over that cheeseburger, over that social media post, over that thing you really, really, really love to do. And it might be a good thing that you love to do, but that good thing is not greater than God. Yes, we can and should enjoy all of God's gifts, including food, right? When we pray at the Powers House, I say thank you for this food, and may we enjoy it with grateful hearts. But our appetite for the Lord should always be greater than that cheeseburger or steak or whatever you enjoy. We, we should never be ruled by God's good gifts. We are ru ruled by God and God alone, and may it be so. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.